Today we are joined by Kate and Adam Rice. And you got what's the name of your company? Do you go by Car Photography? Is that the official name? That's the name on Instagram. Yep, that's right. Yep. All right, we're up here in Alaska. I ran across you guys. This is the first time we've met. I've yep. seen you on Instagram and uh, we just got to shooting together and it's been a lot of fun and I thought, you know, it'd be cool to do a podcast. So here we are. We had a bad day. It's kind of, what, windy and rainy out there. So yep. we thought next time we get a chance, let's just get together and do a podcast. So what, you guys have so many interesting stories and two things I want to talk about is how you live. And then also you guys are a big fan of the mirrorless movement, I would say. So I think we can dig into both of those situations or, or what, what you guys are doing with those. And, and I think people will find it really interesting. But first, I think if you could just give us a background on how you guys got into this or how you guys got started, that'd be kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. So we've been photographing, I think, a little over 10 years we initially lived in Minnesota, and I started dating Adam in college. And for Christmas the same year, my mom got me a like digital recorder camera combo thing, like the cheapest camera you could find, right? And digital was fairly new at the time. And so I got this thing, and I've always been pretty artistic but not really had an outlet, like I can't paint or draw. And so I started to play with it and quickly I was like, well, I wanna make this picture, but I couldn't do that with this thing. So I went and got a high-end point and shoot, but then I wanted to make milky water with waterfalls and I couldn't do that. And so then I think I had that camera maybe a month and I already was looking for a DSLR at the time. And um, a friend suggested we go to Sony's like they're up and coming and they have a lot of new technology. I don't doubt that they're going to be, you know, the next big thing. So what, what did I get? I got a Sony uh, a 100 Sony a 200. Yeah. It was like the lowest of the low, but you know, I was a poor college kid and that's all I could afford. And, so we would go hiking in Minnesota and photograph waterfalls and Adam would stand there and hold the dog while I was uh, photographing waterfalls. So that's how I ended up with the camera is I, I didn't want to hold the leash anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to participate in this. And so I, I ended up getting a similar camera. I think it was a, another step up from that. But part of the reason that we, picked Sony was because they bought Minolta's all of their, their a mount. And that's where the Sony a mount came from was autofocus Minolta mount. So there was a lot of affordable Minolta glass on the market that was used. So, and that's kind of where we went once we, I think we started going, we lived really close to a really famous birding area in Northern Minnesota. And uh, so we started going up there because we heard about, like all the stuff you can see up there, a lot of owls and stuff like that. And literally the first time we went up there, we photographed another Northern Hawk owl. And that was kind of the end of landscape photography for us. So is, is that autofocus lenses yep. back mm -hmm. then? Yeah. So yeah, it's we Minolta glass. Yep. Autofocus on a Sony body. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cause, cause they bought Minolta. So they had, they, they 
kept using the Minolta A mount. Yeah. Sony had glass too. Yeah, and Sony started making glass right away, but they left a lot of the on that A mount, they didn't make a lot of really big telephotos because Minolta already had a 400 F4 and a 600 F4 and 300 2.8 and some of these, some of these prime, big, big primes. And I mean, they're from the 80s, but I believe Minolta was the first autofocus capable. Maybe it's not. That's not correct. I can't remember. But it was some of the, I know I know they, they were pioneering a lot of that stuff when it came out because it was like like our 600 f4 that we still have back home is from like 1984 so it's pretty and it's 16 17 pounds <laughs> Sounds so like me yeah but that's how we originally got into Sony was it just we just kind of we were the black sheep right away. <laughs> But that's cool, right? Because yeah. it's turned out to be a pretty good move because right now they've got some really good stuff. Yeah. It, it it made us brand loyal for a while and we were and we were committed. But now that we're switching to the mirrorless, we're kind of in the same boat as everybody else if you're switching from Nikon and because we're on a we're on a different mount, so we still have to kind of start all over. But we have we already have confidence in Sony as an overall brand, so it's not like, you know, some people have a hard time dumping Canon if they've been with them for years or dumping Nikon if they've been with them for years. So, so for us, we're just like, well, this is, we, we tried to hold out cause we're like, well, they'll still make, keep making stuff for our mountain. And like I said, Sony sent us that a nine and that one to 400 when we were photographing barn owls. And it was like, it was like cheating. We're like, yeah, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't, if we don't jump on this wagon, you know, the, 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 the once the lenses started showing up the bit, the longer lenses, that's when we're like, yeah, this is probably the way to go now. I run into that all the time where if I'm going to spend all this time out there, I might as well shoot it on the best damn thing that I can, right? Yep. So that's why I shoot red because I'm like, if I'm going to shoot video, I might as well get the best raw file that I can possibly mm-hmm. get. And then that's why I end up shooting, although I think I'm behind the curve now. On, uh, I'm still using Canon, but slowly switching to Sony, just mm-hmm. slowly. And I don't know if I'll completely switch, but I'm investigating mirrorless, I guess, is the way to Yeah, talk for about. sure. Well, and we learned that lesson really early on with wildlife being poor college kid. Uh, we had the Sigma 50 to 500. They called it the Bigma. And that thing was so soft. And we couldn't figure out for the longest time. We're like, we can't take a sharp picture to save our lives. And, you know, obviously it was the glass and we had cheaped out and bought what we could afford. But, yeah, now we're like, if we can't afford what's good, we just don't have it. So, yeah. Yeah, we've definitely gotten to the point where, I mean, we've had enough, been in enough experiences where something happens and and the gear kind of lets you down. And there's not really even anything you can do about it. And sometimes it's like, it's kind of like slow motion and you're like seeing it happen i remember before we had the sony 500 f4 we just had that minolta 600 f4 which is a screwdrive lens it's super slow it's super sharp and it makes beautiful images but we were watching this these bears come out of the snow in early spring and her and her two two-year-old cubs are just walking towards us slowly and we're sitting here with the 600 and i mean the the whole thing lasted like five minutes but just her walking slowly directly at us was too fast for that 
old technology to keep up with it. And, and I think literally like a week later we had the 500 F4 because we're like, we found one used that it just, it kind of worked out. We found one used at a lower price than we'd ever seen. And we're like, you know what, this is, you know, like we would have gotten all of those shots if we would have had this last week. So, I mean, when something fails you in the field, you really kind of, it kind of pushes you to extreme measures. <laughs> it's that natural progression too, I think. I mean, everybody starts out, I guess it doesn't matter which camera you start out with. Yeah. You've got to figure out if you like it. Mm -hmm. If you like sitting in the woods waiting for hours for one thing to happen, or if you like just finding that one thing to happen, mm -hmm. and, you know, once you determine that that is what you like, then I think it's the next step is the camera. Mm -hmm. But you have to shoot a lot and you have to figure out, and hopefully you have a mentor that can help you say, yeah, that picture's a little softer, or maybe you just know it on your own and you're, you're, you just know this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. But then it's a money thing too. When you're young, it's like, how do I afford what is going to get me the sharp mm -hmm. shots? So it's, it's just a natural progression, but I think it's, I think it's good to go through. Oh, yeah. I mean, you learn a lot, right? And you learn a lot of the basics by fumbling around with subpar equipment or subpar locations, but it still is part of the process, I think. Yep. I talked to a kid the other day who just wanted to be, you know, 20 years old and, you know, making a million dollars and taking the best shots on the planet, but it just doesn't happen that way because there's so much to learn. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. All right, so before we go too far down that Sony path, we've covered a little bit. I think we can do a lot more with that because I got a bunch of questions. You guys, you're up here in Alaska in a van, but I'm told, or you told me, that you guys live in a van, like a converted van, right? Which is kind of the, I, if I could do it all over again, I think I would do exactly what you guys are doing. So I'm really interested to see what your thought process was to go there and what it's like living in a van and you told me you guys built it out yourselves right yeah we did yep so how so i guess what was that thought process to just say you know what the van's a thing for us well i think just to go back a little bit um to kind of fill in the gap of the story um we so we were originally from minnesota like i said and then we moved to utah after our honeymoon because we took a long road trip out to Yellowstone Tetons and really just kind of fell in love with the West and knew that that was the right place for us. And so we moved out to Utah. That's the closest big city where we could live and um, work and try to figure out what we were gonna do with this photography plan from there and still be able to go up to Yellowstone in the Tetons on the weekends. Well, and that's a crazy story too, just how we ended up out there was such a whirlwind where we we got married and we went on our honeymoon to Yellowstone and we just loved it and I think even after that first trip like we had like these like kind of visions of like being out there a lot more and like doing something like guiding or something like that out there just some you know just dreams and we went on a one-year anniversary trip a second time and we focused way more on just Yellowstone and then the next spring we did our third trip and that was the first time we had a really close encounter with a grizzly bear and it was just all over. Like it was, it was literally, I think we came back in early June from that trip in the end of June, we had dropped the dog off at the groomer and her company had been pushing her to take a promotion 
but which would require her to go to a different center and relocate. And we sat down and looked on a map at the places where her company had centers and Salt Lake was the closest to Yellowstone. And not even 30 days after that conversation, she was in that center to substitute, to fill in. And she, while she was there, they told her the job was vacant and we had the house on the market 30 days after that. And we were living out there 30 days after that. I mean, we got to a good point, but then you had said close encounter or you said in, you didn't say close encounter. You said encounter with the bear. And I just, for our listening audience, I want to explain that your encounter was the encounter in, of, hey, this is cool. This is a bear. It wasn't like you were five feet away from a bear. I just want no, to clarify no. that yeah. for our audience so that they know that your first encounter with the grizzly bear, which prompted your interest in this whole thing, was just the fact that you got to see a grizz in Yellowstone and it solidified that desire in yourselves to pursue this more, right? Yeah, exactly. It was our first good look at a bear that wasn't, you know, 10 miles away on a, on a hillside somewhere. And yeah, I mean, it just was, there's just something about seeing, you know, North America's largest predator and just, I don't know, it's just a crazy experience. We still get it. We'll still just sit there and be wowed, you know, like if we can sit there and, watch the behavior. I like being in a place where you're not the top predator yeah. where you're not the top dog. Exactly. Yeah. You go out and see a grizzly print on a trail and then your head's on a swivel, you know, just waiting to see him pop out somewhere. Yeah. Like we, we do a lot of hiking in, in Utah and it just, I mean, we're in the mountains and it just doesn't feel the same because you know, they're not there. Right. You know, I mean, the only know, thing that could get you there is a cougar. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And I mean, we, you, we don't really see tracks very often and and anything within you know half a day's drive of salt lake is really popular so even in like the upper uintas all the trails are like you're passing people every 10 minutes so we'd never really even see any wildlife up there yeah <laughs> all right so i just want to clarify that now continue on with your story because now you guys visited yellowstone well you came to yellowstone yep. went back to minnesota came to yellowstone take it from there so I think we got to the point where we, um, I took a job in Utah and we moved out and then we were taking regular trips to Yellowstone and we quickly learned that going up and getting a hotel room is one, very expensive and two, you're committing to a certain area of the park because it's really big, but you don't always know where you want to be. And so we started sleeping in the back of our Nissan Xterra. We'd Which just I... take an air mattress and blow it up in the back until like it was just overflowing pretty much. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that either. Which yeah. is great, right? If, <laughs> if it's just you and a mattress and no camera gear and no, no, no yeah. food, no cooler, but you start introducing all that and then it's a regular... Yeah, everything. And there's two of us. Yeah, and, and, and everything's yeah. in the front seat, so it's a big ordeal to stop someplace where we can legally sleep in the car and uh and sit there and shuffle everything around and get the air mattress blown up it just kind of it was a big dance yeah but so, it made everything so much more accessible we could sleep wherever we wanted to sleep outside of any entrance or in a campground and we could move every night and so from there we had a Yukon. Yeah, Yukon XL, um, same as a That we put a mattress in the back, and that was quite a bit more comfortable. And But in the meantime, we were still looking for 
what's the next thing? Like, how are we going to progress? How can we eliminate cost of living? How can we try to, you know, put money away and do photography full time or seriously? Um, and so everything's just been kind of working towards that and we were playing around with the idea of well maybe an rv or a trailer yeah Yeah. can you hear those jets they're crazy i can't wait till they change that runway (laughs) so so rv trailer you guys are just investigating everything yeah and we thought about it for a long time and then uh we were like well what about a van we could build out a van and have everything we want it just kind of stuck yeah. right then. And, and it wasn't like, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit and kind of like wrote it off. Like, you know, that's a whole nother vehicle and we already have the Yukon and like the whole idea with the Yukon was, oh, we could get a trailer. And then if we start doing longer trips, we can leave the trailer up there, but we can still sleep in the Yukon if we don't want to go back to the trailer kind of thing. And for me, I think part of what clicked is our first trip up here and we saw how many people are coming up for the summer and living just in vans, you know, like you go to, you go to some of these popular, like, well, I remember we were at in Homer and we're, it was when we were getting our burger after coming out and, you know, there's like three or four different people that are sitting there with their vans open and you can see their clothes hanging and everything. And you're like, you're like, you know, that's not a bad idea. So, and then pretty much right after that trip, we had we had a townhouse in in back in Utah, and you know every year the rent goes up because the housing market goes up. So then we're like, and it was frustrating, but it was just part of living there. And that year in particular, it went up like twenty some percent, and that was just it. We're like, no, we're not. We're like, this is the last lease that we're gonna sign, and that's when we we really pushed to buy the van and we wanted to be out when that lease was up and that was our timeline and we pretty much did it like we bought a van and built it out in just a little over a year all right so tell me what kind of van and what did you do to build it out 2017 pro master yep the ram pro master what's the wheelbase it's the 159 wheelbase it's not the extended so there's one there's one version longer but we wanted to be able to park in a regular parking spot so i think it's 19 feet long it's the same length as an ex like an extended cab f-150 so and we i mean we researched for months and months and months and you know everybody you know everybody kind of just automatically goes to sprinter and we we looked a lot at the sprinters and just the maintenance costs and then having to find a dealer. And we especially were thinking about, because eventually we want to come up here and be able to spend like an entire summer up here. Like what if you're out on the Kenai Peninsula and you need to find a Mercedes dealer like now, like that's a huge problem where if we're driving, you know, a a Ram, which is a Dodge product, like we figured it'd be much easier to find somebody to actually work on it. You know, it might just be a regular mechanic, you know, on the side of the road that could help us out. And they were partners for a while too. Yep. Wasn't it Daimler Chrysler or something like that? It was Mercedes and Chrysler? So Mer- the Mercedes Sprinter at one point was built in in Germany and then they take it apart and put it together over here and put a Dodge or Freightliner badge on it. And that's why you see the Dodge Sprinters and the Freightliner Sprinters. And they don't have to do that as much now. They have a factory here, so they, you see a lot more just Mercedes Sprinters now right? because they're actually building them here or final assembly so kate just handed me her phone with a picture of the van and it is sweet so what we'll do is if you guys are cool send us some pictures and we'll put them on the web page yep. for this podcast and then people can go look and i mean this is like 
I mean, we're sitting here in a little townhouse that I have in Anchorage, and I like this just as much as that as where we're at right now. I mean, it looks awesome. Yeah, we tell people it looks very comfortable. It is, and we t- we tell people we live in a van, and I think most people jump to just sleeping <laughs> in sleeping bags on the floor of you know like a right. econo line van or something, and it's. It's really nice, you know, we, we built it up. Part of why we built it ourselves was we wanted a very particular layout for storage purposes, and we wanted specific things. We didn't want a shower, and if you just buy a RV, they make a lot of RVs based on these vans now, so you can get the same wheelbase and then not have to do a lot of the work. You, uh, you own, There's always a shower, and they're always set up with, like, the dinette where you got to build your bed every night, and we didn't want to do that. We wanted to be able to just crawl in bed. And it is super nice. I mean, we'll be in, it'll be a day in the park or out in the field and it'll start raining and we're like, all right, well, you just pull over in a pullout and we'll climb in back and take a nap. You know, like it's, and that's, that's the big thing that's really cool is just being able to turn the ignition off, walking back, we have a curtain. So you pull a curtain, nobody even knows we're in there. And, you know, you can just go take a nap, even if we're driving somewhere and you get tired. Or do whatever. Yeah, and yeah, do whatever. We've got we can go water, back. We've got full solar. Yeah, yeah, we have a ton of solar power, a ton of batteries. We can run. We could run a microwave if we wanted to. We don't have one, but got a fridge. Yeah, we have a fridge, cabinets. an induction cooktop, and yeah, we can sit back there and bust out the tablet and watch Netflix or whatever, and it's 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 pretty sweet. Yeah, we're never roughing it. It's not roughing it. No, that's for sure. no, it's it's like being home wherever we are. And it's super nice now that we live in it. Like if we want to leave town to go to Yellowstone or whatever, we don't have to pack anything. It's all in there. Like we just go. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you pared down your whole, I mean, Everything. the most, yeah. the most you guys own of anything is probably cameras and then clothes and that's it, right? Yeah, pretty pretty much, much. Yeah. Yeah. We sold everything and that was an ordeal. Yeah. Yeah, we basically started as soon as we decided we were going to build the van. We basically started selling things just so we didn't have to like give it away. So we were on the Facebook marketplace and yeah. and Craigslist and all that. And just, we didn't even have a van yet. We were selling our yep. furniture and yep. yeah. Well, we probably had to use some of that money just to get the van too, right? So it works yeah. really well because you can put all that money into your either oh, yeah. the van or the conversion or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Or a new lens. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, and it and it was it was fun. I mean, it's we'll make no qualms about it. Building a van was probably the hardest thing we ever did. Blood, sweat, and tears is no joke. Emphasis on the blood. Yeah, there's 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 blood in that van. Like there's, it's some some like if you pulled the walls down, you'd be like, oh no, they were they weren't kidding. Like you know, because you're cutting like insulation and you slip with the razor or something. And you're just like, eh. but it's not easy either. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's really you tough. have to. Be dedicated to that lifestyle and, you know, being very conservative. I can't just go to the store and buy whatever it is I feel like buying. You can't do that. Yep. I can't have that shirt if I see it. You know, if I have one, I have to throw away another one. Um, we're pretty much maxed out. Yeah. So you have to be very cognizant of everything like how much water do i have and when's the next time i'm gonna need to go to the bathroom because i should plan for that or where am i gonna get my next shower yep you know it's just a very cognizant lifestyle but it's not that hard i mean i mean think we we all get so spoiled and you just are like oh i'm gonna take a shower i'm gonna go to the bathroom and Mm -hmm. take a shower 
But in Alaska, you can find showers all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard, and it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's a little bit. You got to get your shower shoes, and you got to take your little bag in there, and probably pay two bucks for three bucks for a shower. But it's not that big of a deal. And the experience that you guys get to have, I tell people all the time. I think so many people get locked into. Well, this is how my grandpa did it, and this is how my my family did it, and I'm just going to do it the same way. And to go out and do what you guys are doing is a little scary. But I think if more people did it, they would be like, wow, this is pretty cool. Well, and we really learned very early on, like, a house and a white picket fence and kids and stuff, that's not going to be our life. Like, that didn't interest us. Like, when we first got married, we're like, oh, we'll grow in the kids. We'll probably want them when we get older and we just never it just never really grew on us and then you know we started traveling more and more and it's just like you know we're never gonna like we we're never we're not gonna work our day jobs until we're you know 70 or whatever age it is by the time we're actually able to you know like that's not gonna be our life you know and we've had you know sometimes we have people say like well you guys have really good jobs now like you really shouldn't be trying to get away from them you know and it's like if we're out there and we're doing the photography thing and something related to it to make a living then it doesn't matter when we retire like we can you know because we love being out there if we won the lottery and money wasn't an issue we'd still be up here we'd probably still be sitting right here talking to you right now because we're probably be living the exact same way Well, I think it's awesome to be able to just say, that's what I want to do and go do it. And we're just spoiled. I think you just get accustomed to certain things and you're spoiled. And it's so easy to live um, the way you guys are living. I think you're rich with experiences, Mm -hmm. right? Which to me, that you'll take forever. These material things really don't mean much. Yeah, that's how we feel. And we're lucky that we're both just equally insane. You know? <laughs> I don't know how we got that lucky. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we, we're both always wanting to be out in the field. Like we're never, you know, we never take a vacation to a beach somewhere. Like if we did that, I'd feel like we're wasting time that we should be out shooting something. We're all very similar. That's my thought process to a T the whole time. Although I didn't do a van. I wish I would have, but I didn't. And <laughs> it's not too late. No, it's not. I've, I'm still thinking about it, you know, just because it would be, I drove from, Denver to Anchorage this year and my thought the whole way was man a van would be perfect because then you could spend time wherever and know that you don't I found myself trying to get to the next town to get a hotel room because if I went too late I might not get one and then you're out in the middle of nowhere whereas if Mm -hmm. you had a van it just doesn't matter it doesn't matter no I I drove to Minnesota from I I was in the Tetons Kate was already in Minnesota, and I was I was in the Tetons uh, chasing the first bears out of the dens in snow because we really wanted we really wanted that's hard to get grizzly bears in snow. That's a very specific set of circumstances. So I spent about a week doing that, and then I went to Minnesota to meet Kate. And so I was just since I'm by myself, I'm like I just got to get out there. But I drove as far as I could one night, and I you know I'm just in the middle of Wyoming. I pull over on a pullout like somewhere outside of Pinedale and just slept and I don't think a car drove by the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, it's just cool to be able to do that. Like, you know, you, you definitely do it in places where, you know, you're not illegal. You know what I mean? Like we, we are, we're always being legit. You know, we don't go pull in the K 
campsites and not pay and stuff like that. You know, like we always do do it as do do it the legit way. But yeah, it's just amazing. The more you do this, the more you learn too. Oh, I can stay in this parking lot on my way to here because they allow it. Mm-hmm. Or you know, you find the cheap little campgrounds where oh, these guys are only fifteen bucks a night or yep. something. Well, yeah, there's a ton like and. I'm surprised they don't get busier. I mean, maybe they do in July because we're never really around, but like there's these forest service campgrounds like outside of Yellowstone that are like four bucks a night because they're just dry. There's no hookups. It's like, well, I mean, that's pretty awesome that they're there. And there's like, you know, there's quite a few of them. That's cheap rent. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's super cool. I think everybody should go to the page and look at all the pictures because I'm excited to see more pictures and I'm just excited about that whole lifestyle. I mean, I think I was telling you guys the other day you should do a whole YouTube experiential kind of just vlog Mm -hmm. just because what you're doing is super cool and I think there's a lot of people interested in it. And yeah, there's a lot of people doing that already, but you guys have the hook of having the photography part of it too. Which that's the driving force to live in this lifestyle. So you start, I don't know that I've seen that out there. I don't know that I've seen somebody that the van life. Yeah. But really the photography is the driver. I mean, I know there's people that do it, but I don't know that I've seen it. Yeah. 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 We're not just waking up somewhere and stand up paddle boarding and taking stage pictures. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to get Adam to do the string bikini shot in the van, but he just won't do it. So. It'll it, it'll either it'll either just like go terribly wrong, or it'll go viral and we'll be famous. So I think uh, I would say go viral, <laughs> not for the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go on to. I want to talk a little bit of wildlife too, and but let's get into that, and maybe we'll just touch on it as we're talking about this mirrorless system. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the Sony system. You guys have the new 2-600. to 600. Yep. I saw it, and you're like, yeah, here, try it out. And I put it up, and the focus was amazing. The throw going from 200 to 600 is like, I don't know. It's a quarter turn. You can do yeah. it with your thumb. Yep. Just give me a snapshot into, you said earlier, you're switching from... I mean, you guys are in the same boat as everybody else. You're having yep. to switch to this new system. Yep. But you're for pretty far in now. So kind yeah. of line out your system and then I guess just talk about what you like about it. Because we get a lot of people that are like, well, is it worth it going to Sony? What's the pros? What's the cons? And maybe that's a good way yep. for us to talk about it. In my mind, the pros far outweigh the cons. But there yep. are some cons. Yes, for, for sure. sure. Right. Yep. So start by just doing what your system is because... Uh, like bodies, the different bodies that you use, and then the different lenses that you guys have. You want me to go for yeah. it? You're the gear guy. So we have right now we have the Sony A7R3, which is the higher megapixel body, and I think that's the one that you have. Yeah. And that's uh, so that's 42 megapixels, and if it's like a 10 frame per second frame rate, and the focus on it is pretty good, but it's more of like your 5D four kind of autofocus like comparable to that and then we have the a9 which is your pro sports kind of style body more a 1dx 2 or a d5 kind of kind of comparison and that's 24 megapixels but it's 20 frames a second and i mean you saw it on that two to six i mean it i think it probably focuses faster than anything else on the market and that's what that's what 
kind of made us switch is that that's the body that Sony sent us to try with the one, the 400, which is, you know, that's just a really basic lens, but they sent it to us to photograph and we happen to be photographing barn owls. And I was using our old a mount, you know, a 99 which is pretty much the a seven R three with a, with the different mount and, and our 500. And I mean, I had maybe a keeper rate of like 20% just trying to get them locked, the, the tracking lock on and just putting the automatic, uh, tracking on there where it will track the subject anywhere in the frame. If it's in the frame, it was in focus a hundred percent of the time. Every once in a while you'd miss because you know, something weird would happen or you'd do something wrong. But even like we'd have owls flying down below a grass line and it would still track the owl. It wouldn't pick up the grass in front of it or behind it. And I mean, so that's really what got us to switch. So those are our two bodies and we have the literally just released a seven R four is I think going to be delivered today back home. And that's going to be the high, super high megapixel, 61 megapixels, still 10 frames a second though. And it should be a little faster autofocus than the A7R3. So those would be our bodies. And then the lenses, we don't have any, any wide angle lenses yet. We've just been adapting our A mount stuff for the wide angle stuff, but we have the one to 400 and that's a, that's a super, super nice lens. And then we have the two to six that just came out last month and this is our first trip with it and i've been nothing but thrilled with it and then we have the 400 to eight which is i mean that's world class and it's that that's a super great lens for for wildlife just because you have 400 at two eight so you have a pretty long lens the ability to shoot really low you put a one four teleconverter on it it's a 560 f4 and it doesn't suffer autofocus or image quality at all and then you can put a two times on it and you're 800 at five, six, and it's super, super sharp, even at the two times wide open and, and it's six pounds. So it's easy to handhold. And we're picky with yeah. sharpness. Yeah. We're, and we're putting we're, those teleconverters on it. We've been thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and even I've put the one four on that two to 600 a little bit and it auto focuses with it just fine. It does. Yeah. Same on the 100 to 400. That's yep. Right. So do you guys take that with you every time, just no matter what? It's like, oh, if I see the a unicorn or Sasquatch and he's a mile out, I'm going to throw on the extender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you always have it. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, if, if I ever have the choice, I'm always going to shoot without a teleconverter. Like, right. I mean, I know you, it, it isn't magic. You know, there are times where you will, su- and it's usually really, really harsh light or like if you have like heat waves, and a lot of environmental stuff, then the teleconverters, sometimes they can cause a little bit of issues but like on that 400 28 there's we haven't seen a single situation where the one four acts any different than when it doesn't have it on there the two times i've seen a couple times of like really extreme backlighting where it's hunting a little bit but that was also using the a7r3 i think if the a9 was on there i think that probably wouldn't be an issue so before the two to six you were had the 400 28 and the one to four and what you guys' and, system was. Yeah, and basically... A but lot, we've still had a lot of the A-mount yeah, gear. Yeah, so one of us a lot of times would still shoot the 500 F4 on the A-mount. Like when, okay. we were, when, we were, when we were just doing our brown bear trip, that's what I, I used the 500 F4 and the A-mount gear, and she was using the 400-2.8 and the mirror, new mirrorless stuff. So... And that, that the mirrorless stuff, it does... Especially, it's weird because the sensor is the same. And, and our A-mount cameras at A992, it's the same sensor as the A7R3, but 
the image is out of the mirror. Let's look better. The dynamic range is yeah, it's, it's insane. How do you think that is? If it's the same sensor, how are they? Is it just the glass quality? Well, Sony Sony's aim out stuff at the end there is translucent translucent mirror, which is why they've had really fast focus and frame rates on that. So I think you're losing you're shooting through a mirror. Okay. So I think it's cutting down. So you're gonna a lose a bit. couple of stops in neutral then, or a. I think it's a third of a stop that you lose going okay. through that mirror. So it's not a ton, and we never really noticed it, but. You definitely, when you look side by side, the just the the depth of the colors out of those mirrorless cameras is just insane. And when you nail something on on that on that mirrorless forty two megapixel sensor, I mean, you it's, you can just keep zooming in and zooming in and zooming in, and it just holds up. So I had a heck of a time when I looked at the viewfinder. I mean, there's so this to me is a con. But it can be a pro too, right? Because when you look through the viewfinder in the Sony, you have an electronic viewfinder. Mm-hmm. It looks very video, very crunchy, very ugly to me. But then you look at the image on the back of the camera and it's like, oh, this is awesome. So it's just getting that mindset. I'm used to looking through a Canon and it's basically, I'm seeing pretty much what the image is going to be like. And I've been so used to seeing mm-hmm. that, that now when I look through this electronic viewfinder, I, I'm a little like, eh, I hope this is going to look good. But it's just a confidence thing, right? Because yeah. the other good thing about the electronic viewfinder is it's what you see is what you get. Yeah, it's, as, as you adjust your exposure and everything, it'll get darker and it'll get lighter. And it I've found it helps a lot. Like we did a lot of, we had a lot of opportunities shooting brown bears our last trip where we were shooting like sunset light and everything's glowing. And like you really need to nail the exposure to make that look right on an image otherwise like if you overexpose it it's just going to look white and if you underexpose it you're not going to know what's going on so it really gives you like you can point it at at the subject and sit there and move your exposure because i mean it's not going to be your normal exposure like you would take of just the standard animal you know like so you you really play with it a bunch and you can really be like, well, there, that's the sweet spot. That color's really popping and I still have a nice silhouette. Or if you're trying to expose enough to see details on the, on the animal, you know, like you can try to find that fine line, you know, and it's, it's pretty awesome. Like it's awesome to be able, and then, you know, you have all the, up. you can put all your information in there. You know, you can put a level in the viewfinder. So, you know, if you're tilting the camera too much one way or the other, you can put a histogram in the viewfinder. You can put your shutter speed details in there, or you can take it all out. Most people I've talked to that didn't like the viewfinder initially, once they got to use it a little bit, they're like, now I love it. You know, like I can't shoot without it. Like it's so much better now that I see the advantages of it. Well, and Sony's had that for a long time. We have that with the A-mount gear. Yep. So it is just a matter of doing it and getting used to it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you guys really didn't have to get used to it too no. much because you've been doing it for so long yep. and you're just accustomed to it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And for me, I'm really good at adapting. I can go to any camera and figure it out. And I don't get hung up on that whole, well, I can't get, I can't, just can't do this. I'll figure it out and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come to really like it for sure. I'm, I'm sure of it. But it's just a, it's weird. But the thing that I loved was, yeah, it looks weird through the viewfinder, but when I look at the images, either on the back of the camera or on the computer, I'm, I'm like, wow. This. And what I did is I forced myself on a shoot, a commercial shoot that I was doing, to just use Sony. You know, it wasn't super critical that I have, 
all my Canon stuff and all my long lenses, it was more of a shoot where the video was the predominant thing. So I knew I could play around with the stills a little bit and it was the perfect. And I, I was like super happy every day. I'd just grab it, but I was limited because I only have one lens for that camera. So, yeah. but what I was shooting worked out great. And that, that's what I need to do to force myself to, to get into that hole. Just mm-hmm. get used to it. Just figure it out. Get used to it. Figure out the good and bad with the camera and just go. Well, and I think eventually, like, I th- some people have been saying it for a while, but I think now that Canon and Nikon have made a mirrorless mount, I think you're probably seeing your last iteration of traditional SLRs. Like the 1DX3 or whatever is going to be announced here soon. I think that's probably going to be the last cycle through, and they're going to all be mirrorless because I... I it sounds like they may they may have reached as far as they can with that technology you know like there's nothing not, not much else they can do to push it further and mirrorless opens up a lot more doors it does and i love shooting video on that camera mm-hmm. too you know the video on the sony's is, is pretty awesome so, yeah i mean it's got good all the way around and what are the cons for you guys in that system is there something where you're just like ah, i just don't like that and it might be hard since you've shot Sony for so long. You might, you just, what is a con to somebody else for you guys? You've just never had seen any other way. I don't know if I can think of any. I know the the battery life I wish could be a little yeah. better, but I mean, that's, you know, they made everything smaller. So, I mean, that's just going to be something that you're going to, you know, cause they are, they are smaller than traditional SLRs. So the, the battery is going to suffer, but we always shoot with, vertical grips on all our bodies anyways so even even with a little bit less battery capacity we're still fine and we're just we're like battery crazy anyways like when we go out we literally take all of our bodies however many batteries those bodies i'll take we double it and that's what we always have we always have we could always kill every battery we have in a camera and still put a fresh battery in it and i think does the battery grip or the vertical grip has battery capability in it, right? So do you still have, well, you have two in that? It's just, it just doubles your capacity. Yeah. So you just have, you have two batteries instead so of one. So it'd be a big shooting day if you blew through both of those batteries. Yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't hardly ever. That rarely get through, happens. Get but sometimes you make a mistake and you don't charge your batteries the night before or something right. like yeah, that. Right. And, and I think if you're going to shoot video, it probably chews through more about i mean that's my experience with some of the other cameras that i use yeah. where if you're shooting a lot of video i can go all day shooting stills on my canons but the yeah. minute i go switch to video you can just watch that battery drain yeah and i can imagine it would be frustrating like if you were gonna set one up with a small rig and put a screen on it and stuff that was powering up trying to power off of the camera itself right. and didn't have its own i could see where you'd really chew through them but yeah yeah what about weatherproof we haven't had any issues. Yeah, I know a lot of people have kind of knocked the mirrorless with their weatherproof proofing, but from what I, we haven't had any issues. And I mean, we were out there the other day in the rain, and I mean, we had our our lens our lens coat rain covers on just to just to be safe. But I mean, you know, we didn't hesitate to peel it out of the way if something was happening, even if it was raining pretty good. And you know, then the camera's exposed, and you know, we didn't run back to the to the van and dry them off. We just took them out and let them dry off. And from what I understand, the really only like vulnerable point on them is the battery door. And I feel like with the battery grip, we're probably, you know, 
I wouldn't want to dunk it, but I mean, would you be confident to that, confident enough to dunk any camera? Oh, no, dunk you know? I've yeah. dunked him. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's a bad thing. Yeah. I haven't dunked yeah. him. I've had other people dunk them. Yeah. Missy. Um, <laughs> we all give her a hard time about that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just being smart about it because mm-hmm. I do the same thing. My gear is, the Canon system is pretty waterproof. No, water resistant. Mm-hmm. And I see people all the time, just, they don't bother covering it. They just let it get wet and, and it works and it's fine. But even me knowing that I just can't let electronic piece of equipment get soaked. Yeah. yeah so I'm covering mine anyway. So yeah. I don't think it would be that big of a deal to, yeah. you know, if you feel like, well, it's not going to be Alaska proof. It really is because we're going to take those steps like with the, even a little backpack cover. Just yep. a piece of waterproof nylon that you're throwing over your camera is yep. going to protect it. Yep. Yeah, I we, we just try to be, you know, we're not we're not running away from the rain or anything. But, I mean, if we're going to be out there in the rain, we definitely make sure we always have a backpack cover for if we have to hike out like the other night. You know, like we hiked out, you know, hour plus. It was raining pretty good. And then... Uh, you know, just make sure we have a, that lens coat or something similar that we can throw over it. So if, you know, especially like if, you know, if you're not shooting, like what's, you know, if you're going to wait for some, wait something out in the rain, you don't want to subject it to that, you know. And I agree with you. I see it all the time where you have people out and they'll just have their gear sitting there and they don't even bother. And I'm like, I'm just not going to roll the dice. I don't know, you know, like. I feel like those are where the horror stories come from. And they're like, this isn't waterproof at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That and, or they have a situation where they got this scene of a lifetime and yeah, something did go south and it's not working and you just ruined that whole opportunity yep. just by not being a little prudent mm-hmm. on the front end and just say, you know what, I'm going to throw a little cover, or carry a little umbrella or something that just helps it, you know, but you also know that you're confident if, I don't have time to grab this cover. I don't have time to deal with this. There's a whatever running out through the trees and I want to get a picture of it. You, oh, you yeah. can go do it and you're not going to yep. hurt. Well, so no other cons really then. That, that, the we, only, I guess on the 200 to 600, you're dealing with a pretty, your trade-off, right? Because that yeah. lens is pretty small, pretty light, awesome range. Yep. But you're what four five six three or is it it's five a, six it's, it's, three? It's a, it's a six it's a five six six three. So that is the the one thing. Like if I was gonna come up with something bad about that lens, is that you're not gonna get the bokeh you could with a prime. But I mean, like we, you know, like I think I mentioned it when we were talking before. Even if it was an f five six all the way through, I've found that you can shoot the same f-stop on a zoom lens and it still doesn't look as good as a prime. It's just kind of a physics thing where they can create that separation. There's a reason they put those elements that far apart and they built that lens that big. Like you're always going to have, we've always felt like you're, you almost always have a better looking image out of the prime. If you can do it in that situation and even at the same focal length and f-stop, like they just, there's a reason the primes, you know, 12 grand and the zoom is two. Well, and I think, so you guys have that with you, but yep. you, what we're shooting, we're shooting moose, by the way, 
it just seemed it's way more practical to take the two to six and the one to four than it is haul mm-hmm. the 400 to eight because with the 400 to eight your legs are your zoom yep and a lot of times you can't you've got a river or you've got willows that are so tall that you can't get through or if you get through them you're not gonna be able to shoot through them so then you're kind of stuck that 400 to eight probably is more of a I mean, I've always looked at those lenses as like the car lens or the bird lens or, you know, some distance. You know, oh, well, we're not going to see a bear today closer than 50, 60, 75 yards. That's where 400 is perfect. But with these moose, we can be 25 yards away and having that flexibility is just way better. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and it's, it's beautiful out here. So you want to be able to get the scene sometimes. Sometimes it's not just the animal. Right. So. Yes. Yeah. Kate yesterday nailed it by the way because she had the one to four and i'm fiddle farting around with a tripod and video and trying to get this set up and this bull standing there with this majestic mountain and she nailed it and i would have never you couldn't get that with 428 i couldn't get it because it only was a split second so on video that wasn't the thing i should have been shooting or it would have been great to have what you had because you you got it Yep. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a perfect setup for this scenario. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit in wrapping this up about you guys' photography. Maybe we can point people to a place to go look at your stuff. You know, if they're not following you on Instagram, they can follow you at K-A-R Photography. That's your handle, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Are you guys active on Facebook? We are. Yeah, yes. we have a pretty a pretty big following on Facebook too. And that's just search K-A-R Photography. And then what about a web, web page? Same thing. It's car.photography or carphotography.net. And then what do you guys specialize in or what do you like? Is it all North American mammals or you guys, I know what you are, but I just want you guys to tell the, the bears. listeners. We're, we're nuts about bears. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Any chance we're going to photograph bears. We're actually in Alaska right now trying to diversify our portfolio a bit. Um, but if a bear walked by and I have a perfect picture of a moose, I'm probably still going to try to find the bear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we always get, we always kind of get sidetracked if there's good bear stuff going on. And, you know, like we've mentioned a couple of times, we, you know, we do, we do specific trips just for brown bears. And so, but, we, but we love all bears. We'll, sh- you know, we shoot a lot of black bears and a lot of grizzlies in the Yellowstone area and, and we next is our we're hoping to do polar bears next year so we're in kind of in the middle of planning that and i mean really just i mean i'm sure we'd love to go to kamchaka do the russian bears that would that's really high on our list just because that sounds like an awesome adventure and not a ton of people doing it and so yeah i mean we both have we both have grizzly bear tattoos (laughs) sweet i don't have a tattoo but i always thought if i ever did it would be something to do with the wolf or a bear yeah 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 and i mean we've we've always just loved predators like that's kind of been it's just exciting you know it's exciting it's exciting to have this these huge predators kind of let you into their world you know and i mean they're 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 not as you know crazy and mean as everybody sometimes think they are but it's still it's still such an amazing experience to you know be able to see these animals and they are equipped to do that stuff. So, I mean, it's special that they allow us to do it, you know, to allow us to take images of them and, you know, especially, you know, 
it's tough and you know the grizzly bear is kind of like the symbol of wilderness for us like we mentioned you see a track on the trail and it's just everything changes the mountains are bigger and the forest is thicker and you hear everything more and you're just kind of you're way more aware and that's that's how the mountains i feel like that's how the mountains should feel you know well we were talking earlier before the podcast where the media has blown everything out of such proportions that it's I don't think people even can comprehend the fact that you can coexist and not have problems. But as photographers, we get a chance to go to some of these places where that co where you can coexist totally with no problems at all and never ever see a pissed off bear or never ever see or get in a situation where you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty cool to go out and Yeah, I mean it's amazing on our brown bear trip. How many, how many bears would we see, like, just in eyesight? Sometimes up to 30. Yeah, just just in eyesight from standing in one spot. And, you know, there are, really aren't any negative encounters. You know what I mean? And that's just, it's amazing to see, like, you know, like, that's how it should be. And that's how, you know, the, and the bears are all calm, you know? Like, they're not running away from people and they're not. It's just really cool to just sit there and be able to be with them and see into their lives. And, and they're just so full of personality and, you know, they're so much more intelligent than I think we even realize. I don't think there's a whole lot of research on that. And they're just, it's just amazing. It's amazing to see sows with cubs and that bond that they have and just the way they interact and the cubs playing with each other, playing with their surroundings. And it's just crazy. It's crazy to see how much those cubs pay attention to their mom and how much they mimic them. And, you know, like they're learning so much so fast. And then, yeah, it just it's. I mean, I could go on for days. We could we could do it. We could do a whole season of podcasts about this. Yeah. Well, as far as like moving into that direction where you guys are actually providing that service, where because you've talked a little bit about doing workshops, right? Where you could take somebody out and put them in that position where you have so much experience, you could go to some of these locations in a workshop, whoops, workshop or seminar format, whatever it is, and really put a lay it out there for people is that where you guys are headed you think is that the next yeah i think that's our most likely step don't you yeah we're thinking very strongly about it and it's more limiting down do we want to do workshops in alaska do we want to do them in yellowstone what kind of workshops do we want to provide um or maybe all of it who knows yeah i think eventually like it might it might start a little smaller like we might start just doing it around Yellowstone and just kind of get it, get the legs under us. But then, you know, I think eventually we'd like to branch out and go to some of these other places and do, you know, bring groups on some of these trips. And cause it, it is cool. I mean, we walk around some of these places and we're just like, people won't even believe that, that this is real. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you walk, walk down a beach and there's just, Oh, there's a bear just popped out of the grass right there. And then there's another one, you know, coming towards you on the beach and, it's just you do, you just feel like it's surreal you know we were waiting for our plane at the end of that last trip and a bear came and tried to check out our luggage you know like like what's all this stuff and we had to go be like get out of here you know you know it's not not for you <laughs> and it's just kind of it's it's just insane just mind-blowing it's the stuff you watch on you know on the nature documentaries as a kid and you're like you don't really think much of it and then when you get out there and do it you're just like oh man so I know you guys told me earlier that you really don't segregate the pictures. Like you're both shooting all the time and they actually go in one great big file. 
So normally I would say, what's your favorite picture and what's your favorite picture? But since you guys don't do that, just tell me your top two pictures that you guys collectively, the, out of all the pictures you've taken, and, and maybe it's not a picture as much as it was an experience, or maybe it's a, and, a, and if we can, we'll put those as little small thumbnails on the website or drive them to your, your Instagram to see them or wherever they're at. But mm. what uh, what are those two images that, that you guys are like, man, because, you know, everybody, someone told me when I was first starting this, someone asked him, how do you know when you've made it? And the guy's answer was when you have 10 to 20 iconic shots and then what's an iconic shot, you know? And, and for me, I struggled for a lot of years. I'm like, do I even have any? What is that shot? Well, over the years I've got four or five or six or seven or that I'm like, that's kind of an iconic shot for me. It'd be, it rinks right up there for me. And I'm only one saying that. It's nobody else saying that. But mm-hmm. it's taken some time, but I feel like I've got a few. What are your guys's so far? You know, it's always going to change. But I think the first one would be um, from our first brown bear trip. And we have this one in our van, actually. It's a mother bear on a beach with three cubs in tow behind her but they're all like perfectly lined up in sync on the same step, same step. All the cubs are looking right at us and the background is just beautiful bokeh and um, it's just perfect. So for me, that was really, really yeah, that was, yeah, that one's really good. I probably have a tie from that first trip where we had a brown bear sow at sunset go out on the beach and she lays down and one of the cubs crawls and lays on top of her back and then the other one nestles underneath her chin and they're all looking our direction and the sun's setting so behind it's just this you know nice coastal ridge with the sunset light and there they have nice sunset light on them and it's just such an amazing scene and one of the things i wanted on that first trip was you know like the bear on the back thing you know and it's way more common in that ecosystem than it is in other places you know you just don't see it that much in other places for whatever reason and then the the image it's probably tied with is one of the reasons we went on that trip initially was because we had watched disney bears and we're like we need to figure this out like we need to experience this and the cover shot of that is like a cub falling back against its mom and it's just a cub and and fur well i i was like i want that shot and i knew it was a long shot because it's a very specific situation but i have something similar where it's mom just sitting there and the cub's laying in her chest and it's a yearling cub and he's just looking up with his nose just kind of underneath her and he's got his paw and he's reaching to her face and it's just tight so it's just her head her chest fur and then that cub and i've actually had a lot of people say that it reminded them of that cover shot from that movie and i'm like yes (laughs) (laughs) so those are probably the two and we and we have other images that aren't just bears that are that are probably way up there and we probably should give more credit to but those those experiences are just awesome especially when you're dealing with multiple animals in one frame so when i used to do shows and stuff i would you you have the images that you like and then you have 
And then I would always go to a show with the images I liked and I wouldn't sell very much. And I'm like, what's going on? I really like these. They're, yeah. Why aren't they flying off the shelf? So what I'd started doing was a little focus group with just family and friends. And I'd build a gallery on a website and put 10 images or 20 images. And I'd say, can you just choose your top five? And it was always like five of the images that I would never, I mean, they were good, but they were not what I would choose but, and I guess my point to the whole thing is, is a lot of times those images you like are wrapped around uh, how hard was it to get that image? What was that experience to get that image? Was it your first time ever seeing that particular mm -hmm. species or whatever? And it's, it's just cool to hear those oh, kinds yeah. of stories and those kinds of... Well, and we've kind of kicked that around even on this trip, like we were talking, because we had, well, we posted an image just recently that's a mom, a sow with three little bears drinking and it just kind of went crazy on social media and like we never even thought twice about it. like we knew it was a good image like it all it's all there they're all like kind of mimicking each other's behavior and it's composed correctly and you know the river's kind of doing the compositional like diagonal lines and everything but we just kind of posted it like yeah that's a good one we should probably post it and it just went crazy and like we we asked some people on this trip we're like we're like we don't get it like cuz we just thought it was an okay image and they're like that's an amazing image that's like incredible and it's like okay <laughs> it's very subjective so right? it's re it's, re it's really crazy like i mean yeah and i think you know part of it is like that like i said that tight shot of the sow and the cub like that was something that i wanted so that's why i was pumped to get it but the one of them laying on the beach though that one is actually our best-selling image like by far hands down with the sow and the cubs laying on top of her on the beach. Really? Yeah. That's by far our best selling image. Okay. So for selling images, let's just throw that out there. So how do people buy an image? Uh, just, just, our just, just our website and everything's right there and it's all, it's all set up. You just click on the image, you can click buy and you can have it printed any way you want. It's shipped right to you. Sweet. Yep. Right. Well, awesome. I think um, it looks like the weather's clearing up a little bit, and we might want to go out and see if we can find a moose or two. We appreciate you guys coming on. Oh, well, we appreciate you having us. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It, as you guys progress, make sure you let us know if you're. I mean, we'll advertise the workshops because I would want to go with you guys. In fact, I might have to. <laughs> we might have to set up a trip next summer to go yeah. do some. Some new spot somewhere. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. We're always know. looking for the next the next cool thing. Yeah, so the next secret spot. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that we want to put out besides the Instagram and Facebook and website? I think that's no, it. No, I think that's it. How about like a personal email? No, I'm just kidding. Um, we good. can we can be contacted through all three of those too. Yeah. Our, our website has contact info and that goes straight to our our email. So we're we we keep pretty good tabs and all that. So got to these days right oh yeah yep cool thank you very much awesome thank you and no matter which platform you're listening to us on please take the time to hit that follow and subscribe button to give us a positive review a five-star rating or a thumbs up as those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a regular basis you can also find more of our team's content on instagram facebook youtube and of course on our website at wild and exposed Com, where you can see today's show notes as well. I'd like to take a moment and give a special thank you to our hardworking and talented producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you on a regular basis. Until next time, 
You've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.